I'll tell you what, when I asked him if I could speak on a Wednesday night, I knew it would be this Wednesday night before I even asked him. So I was like, okay, well, I have something I think, so I could probably get it ready by this Wednesday night, so I'll go ahead and ask. But yeah, I didn't see that one, or I saw that one coming is what I was going to say. Okay, so um, just to open tonight, I want to start with a couple definitions. Um, The first word I'm going to find is unqualified. It's untrained or inexperienced. And then the second word I want to um, define is disqualified, and it's banned, barred, ineligible, or unsuitable. So the world says that if we're unqualified for a position, then we're automatically disqualified for that position, right? If we don't have the stuff it takes to do it, then we ain't going to do it. But when when we tell God, I am unqualified for this thing you're calling me into, he's like, yeah, I know. That's kind of the point. It's okay. I'll be there with you, leading you the whole time. Just lean on me. So it's the complete opposite. When the world, what the world says and what God says, it's the complete opposite. And that's why the title of my message tonight is Unqualified But Not Disqualified. And I'm so glad that my inexperience doesn't disqualify me from the plan that God has for my life because, man, yeah, <laughs> I would have had to stop a long time ago if I, if I had to base it on my qualifications. So I want to talk to you tonight about a man who had a great call in his life, but a lot of people told him that he was unqualified and that he couldn't do the things that God wanted him to do. So let me set up a story for you. There's a prophet named Samuel, and God told Samuel that he needs, that God wants a new king for Israel and Judah. So he says, you're going to go to this man named Jesse's house, and one of his sons is going to be the new king, right? So Samuel goes to his house. He gets there. Jesse says, who are you? What do you want? And Samuel doesn't tell him that, he's, that one of his sons is going to be the king. I don't know why he doesn't say that. But all he says is, I'm going to make a sacrifice for the Lord, so cleanse yourself so that you're ready. And so they go about it, and they do the sacrifice and everything, and they're about to eat dinner. And Samuel sees the first son And he automatically assumes that this first son is the one that God wants to anoint. And this is what God tells Samuel when when Samuel, Samuel didn't say that, he was just thinking, but this is what God speaks to Samuel's heart. It's 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So he goes on, and he um, has the sons line up. There's seven. There's eight sons. One of them isn't there. So you have seven sons, and he goes down the line. He's like, nope, that's not it. That's not the one God wants, not the one God wants. On and on down, all seven sons, none of them are the right ones. So in verse 11, still in chapter 16, this is what Samuel asks. He says, are these all the sons you have? Jesse replies, there is still the youngest. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down until he arrives. So that's the last son. So Samuel already knows that's the king out there watching over the sheep. Bring him in right now. So he goes and gets David. But can you tell by that he's, when Jesse's reply is, well, my youngest, yeah, he's, he's out in the pasture. How much confidence does Jesse have in his youngest son, David? 
Not a lot, because he doesn't even know why Samuel's there. Samuel could be just getting someone to serve him, and he doesn't even think David's good enough for that. He doesn't realize that David's about to be the king. So in Jesse's eyes, David was so unqualified for pretty much anything besides being a shepherd boy that he was automatically disqualified for whatever Samuel was looking. And people can say the same about us. They could look at us and be like, well, they could never do that, or they could never do that thing and and all this stuff. And sometimes we might agree with them, like, yeah, I don't think I can do that. That thing that God wants me to do, I I really don't see it in me. I don't think, maybe I misheard him. I don't think that's for me. But I'm sure that David probably thought, I'm just a shepherd boy a lot of his life because it's not like his dad was like pouring into him and being like, oh, you're going to be great one day. So the thing about God is that he's really good about turning shepherd boys into kings and giant slayers. Amen. So some of us, we might be feeling like, I'm just this little thing, but God sees you and I as so much more than what we see ourselves as. So we just wait. We wait for him to bring us in to the, to the ultimate call that he has for us. Um, I read this next line, I want to tell you, um, from a devotional, and it just, I remember reading this and just tears coming to my eyes because I thought it was so powerful. But it said, David was overlooked by his father, but he was never overlooked by his heavenly father. And I think that we can, we can have that same experience a lot, that we feel so overlooked by people, but God sees us. And it's so easy to forget that God sees us when nobody else around us, we feel like nobody's seeing us. It's hard, it's hard to remember that God sees us all the time. But, you know, when God uses somebody that no one is expecting, how much greater is his power shown when that person who's just off in the corner, nobody sees them over there, but all of a sudden they stand up and do something great for God, how much more is God's glory shown through that. It's awesome. So I'm going to go on to my next scripture. It's 1 Samuel 16, 13. Something great is about to happen to David in this um, verse right here that's going to affect him for the rest of his life. It's 1 Samuel, still in chapter 16, verse 13. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Came powerfully upon David, David from that day on. It's the anointing that makes the difference. Right then, David received his anointing for his call that God had for his life, and he was able to do all the things that he was unqualified for. If you look at David's life after being anointed, he was a gifted musician. He was a strong warrior. He was a giant slayer. He was uh, a a godly leader. He was a king. And so all of that was because of the spirit that rested upon David. So the very next chapter, something very similar happens. He's told again that he's unqualified for what he wants to do, what God wants him to do. So Jesse's older sons are at war right now um, against the Philistines. They're in a battle. And Jesse sends David um, to check on your brothers, give them some food, come back, tell me what's going on. So he gets there and everything's kind of stopped. There's this giant, a Philistine named Goliath, who is calling out another person to fight him one-on-one, and no one is fighting him. He's cursing God's name and saying bad things about God's people, and no one is going out to fight him. No one is brave enough to take him on. 
And so David starts asking questions. Well, what's going on? Who's this person? And they tell him who he is and all this stuff. And whoever beats him gets to marry King Saul's daughter. So David is very intrigued. He, he wants to, to take on Goliath. And so Saul hears about David coming to the camp, and he hears about David's asking all these questions. So he, Saul says, bring, bring David to me. And so David comes into uh, Saul's tent, and he basically says, I'm going to kill Goliath. And this is Saul's response. This is 1 Samuel or chapter 17, verse 33. He says, don't be ridiculous. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. So Saul completely calls David out. He's like, this is what you are, and you'll never be more than that. And look at him. You can't be what he is, and you can't beat him. Do you understand? You are not going to do this. David is not taking no for an answer, though. He's not. Like, it's just not even a possibility for him at this, at this point. And he goes on, he tells Saul, he's like, I'm a shepherd boy. And when, when lions and bears come and they try to take away my father's sheep, I take a club, I club them to death, and then I take the sheep back. So he literally has fought lions and bears. And he said, I have no doubt in my mind that I can do the same thing to this Goliath guy over here. And so Saul is like, all right, fine, you can do it. And so he gives, tries to give David his armor. And David tries it on. It doesn't fit. He's like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm just, I'll be fine. And so he goes out to um, fight Goliath with just his sling, and his five stones. He has no sword, no spear, helmet, nothing. He's just there by himself. Um, and even Goliath, when David gets out there, Goliath says, am I a dog that you would come at me with a stick? So if you can just imagine, I mean, he's, he's bigger than a lot of people, so he might think most people look like sticks, but David is a lot smaller than him, and he thinks he's probably thinking that this is just a joke, to send a small boy, no armor, that this has to be a joke. But this is what David says in response to Goliath. This is 1 Samuel 17, verse 45 and 46. This, this is awesome. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you. Cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And I love, love, love that last part, that the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. So, I mean, we all know how it ends. It ends exactly how David said. He said, I'm going to kill you. Your men are going to run off, and the the birds and wild animals are going to eat their dead bodies. So it happens. David puts one stone. He has five, but he only uses one. He puts one stone into the sling, winds it up, shoots, hits right where he's aiming. Goliath falls, cuts his head off. Everybody runs away. They chase after them, and it's over. And um, so so after... Let's see where I was. I'll just dance so you don't realize I'm not in the right place. Okay, so the story of David and Goliath I think is so amazing because if David 
had been a trained warrior, would it have been that impressive that David beat Goliath? Not really. But he was just a young boy. He was a shepherd boy. And he, you know, with the no armor, it's just, it's just an awesome story. But you might be saying, like, how was it possible? Like, how could he have done that? I just, it's such, it's hard to believe almost because it's so incredible. But from the very beginning, David said, this battle is the Lord's, not mine. He said, it's the Lord's battle. So when he gave that to God, God was the one fighting, not David. Amen? So it's not like that God was going to lose the battle. And we have to give our battles and our fights and our struggles, our burdens and cares and our fears, we give those to the Lord. Those are our battles. We give those to the Lord. He fights for us, and we come out victorious just like David did. And when we let God fight for us, we're not unqualified because God is the one fighting, not us. So years go on. And even though David was anointed to be king as a young boy, he didn't become king until he was a man. So finally he's king, and he's walking God's plan for him, and the people love him, and he's such a great king, and everything's going great. He's winning wars, winning battles, everything's awesome. And then one day, he sees this woman named Bathsheba. He sees her bathing on the roof, and he calls his servants, and he's like, bring her to me. And so he, they bring her to him, and he sleeps with her. This is another man's wife. He sleeps with her. And she gets pregnant. And so he's like, she tells him, you know, I'm pregnant. And so what he does is he brings the husband, whose name is Uriah, brings him home from war, and is like, hey, you should go home, sleep with your wife. Yeah, tries to play it off like it's not his baby. So he, so Uriah is probably the most loyal man that this army will ever get because he says, no, I'm just going to sleep outside of the palace gate because how could I betray my men by going home and sleeping with my wife when they're all out you know, in the mud? And so, yeah, the army of Israel never had a, such a good soldier because he was really loyal to his people but or to his men, but... So then, once David tries this twice. He tries to send Uriah home twice. He says no both times. And then David's like, okay, well, that didn't work, so I've got to do something else now. So he orders for Uriah to be killed. He says, put Uriah in the front line, in the thick of the battle, go forward, and then pull back. But don't tell him that you're leaving him behind, okay? So that's what happens, and he dies. And then the messenger comes, he, uh, the general or whoever, he said, go back to King David, tell him what happened, and let him know that Uriah is dead. He says, okay. So he goes and he tells him that Uriah died, and then King David acts like he didn't know anything about that, about Uriah dying. He acts like he's surprised. So what did David just do in a nutshell? He murdered to hide his adultery, and then he lied to hide his murder. And so we're like, King David, what happens? Like, um, you're the man after God's own heart, and you're the king of Israel, and you're a giant killer, and all of these things. But guess what? He had lots of titles, but he was still just a man, and he made a mistake, just like we all do. And we can fall really easily into that web of sin, just like King David did. And the only way out of it is to repent. And King David... If you didn't know, he wrote the book of Psalms, and there's um, Psalms chapter 51 is completely dedicated um, to when he uh, 
had this affair with Bathsheba. And it's basically just a cry out to God. And it's so pure and you can just feel the regret in it. And I'm going to read 12 verses. And I know that's a lot, but it's so good. I just want you to um, hear it all. So this is 51, Psalms 51, 1 through 12. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me, but your desire is honesty, teaching me wisdom from the womb. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. I love that as well. Make me willing to obey you because even as a king and even after the man after God's own heart, he still wanted that. He still was flesh. He still craved the sin of the flesh. And so he said, make me willing to obey you. And I, I feel like that's the prayer that we need to pray as well. And he, he teaches us such a great lesson here. In the beginning, he taught us that your, unex, your inexperience doesn't disqualify you from, your God, from God's plan for you. And then in this half of the story, he's teaching us that your mistakes don't disqualify you either. Amen. So I want to show you something quickly. If I just want you to imagine that um, you just ask somebody, hey, can I have a piece of paper? They say, yeah, and then they hand you this. So what would you be thinking when you got this? I mean, you're obviously wanting the paper to write on. There's more holes in this paper than there is paper, so you can't do nothing with it. It's pretty useless. It's pretty much just trash. Like, that's the only thing I'm going to do with this is just end up throwing it away, right? But this is kind of, this is kind of a picture of us. When we sin, it tears us up, and it cuts holes in us. And the only way to repair it is to add something. So we put this paper this paper behind this one so it fills in the holes and when we cry out to God the way David did in Psalms 51 that's us crying out and he fills our holes he fills these these are the mistakes that we made he doesn't have to fill in the holes but he does anyway and so you can see you can see these holes are filled but you can clearly see that there's holes here right it's no secret there are holes in this paper and there's clearly something behind it but if you think about it this way if the holes weren't there, could you see what was behind it? No. So when we have these scars and these holes and these cuts in us, God's glory can shine through those things. That God still forgave me even though I did these things. And people see these scars that the sin leaves behind. And sometimes it's embarrassing that people have to know what we did in our past. But the fact that God can take someone who messed up and still use them, and still love them. That's a testimony, and people, people respond to that, like, oh, I did the same thing that you did, and God still loves you. Well, and it, it's just, 
it's hard sometimes to show people what we used to be like. We want to keep face and act like we're perfect, but I mean, it's important to show people that we haven't, we're not those people who have done nothing wrong. We came to Jesus because we needed help, not because we were perfect. So um, when people see those things, the God's glory shines through. And even after David had this affair, he continued serving God. He still loved God, and God still loved him, and he even still remained king. God didn't kick him out of his position. It was a repentant heart, David's repentant heart, and God's mercy, that's what didn't disqualify David, is because he repented, and God had mercy on him. And guess what? God still has that same mercy for you and I today. So it doesn't matter what we've done. God still has that mercy. And our, our mistakes aren't going to disqualify us. We're unqualified, but we are not disqualified. So I'm going to read Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God promises us. He promises this, that, we, that he has this amazing plan for our lives. And even though that he has this great plan for us, we're unqualified to walk in that plan alone. If we don't have God, we're not walking in that plan. And with God, when, we, when we're walking in this plan, we have, we have prosperity and we're living in hope and all these things that he promises us. But then the enemy comes and he whispers and he just says, just give up. Don't even try. You're a failure. You're not good enough. You're too far gone. You're disqualified. But do you know do you know why the enemy comes and he says those things? It's because he would love to see that awesome plan that God promises us in Jeremiah 29:11. He promises us this plan. He would love to see that plan just slip through your fingers. Everything that God has ever promised you, the joy, the peace, the prosperity, everything that God has ever promised, he would love for you to miss out on all that. So if he can stop you before it even starts, then you're going to miss that all. So he would love that. He would love to see that. But you don't have to believe the lies of the enemy. You don't have to believe them. And the plan God has for us can be so scary sometimes. That's why it's easy for Satan to get in our ears and say, don't even try. You're going to mess up because it can be scary. But do you know why God's plan is scary? It's because we realized how we realized how unqualified we are. Because God's plan in in reality is not scary. God's plan for us is beautiful. We're just scared of it because we realize how unqualified we are. But when we begin to un- embrace the fact that we're unqualified, we just rely on him. That's all that happens. We just, we just let him take care of us. We just rely on him. And did relying on God ever end badly for anybody? No, of course not. So just trust in him, and he'll fill in the places, the empty gaps. He'll fill those in. And don't give up on yourself because he has never and will never give up on you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this night. Thank you for bringing each one of us out here. God, I pray that the word that was just given, I pray that that you would just help them keep it for the rest of the week and just know how loved they are and, and that you're there forgiven when they call out to you. And it doesn't matter what their past is. It doesn't matter 
what is going on right now that they are, they're, they're unqualified, but they're not disqualified, and that you can still use them in mighty ways. And Satan, I rebuke you from their life. I plead the blood of Jesus over each person sitting here that they walk the plan that you have for them, God, that they're not scared of it and they don't run away from it, but they embrace it. They embrace how unqualified they are. They embrace their mistakes and all of these things and just let your glory shine through them, that they just let your your will take over in their lives, Lord. I thank you for each one of them. Thank you for placing them in this church, Lord. I pray that you you would just open their ears to let you to let them hear you, God, that, that they would be able to hear the words you're saying to them, give them the boldness to step out when they do hear those words, Lord. I thank you so much, Holy Spirit, for being here tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God, for everything that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.